It's Monday. August 21st, 2017. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 127 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? You guys hanging in? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician, I am very delighted to say, is the great, the talented, and the very, very sweet Carl Testa. Composer, improviser, bass player, bass clarinetist, electronic musician, Carl Testa. He's a great guy, and uh, today's a special one for a couple of reasons. Before we get into that, uh, thanks to everyone who has been reaching out, sending me nice messages, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. You know, I ask for it every week, and um, it helps, and I appreciate people that are doing it. You know, word of mouth. That's how this type of uh, shit has always worked. You know, do you have a friend who likes podcasts? Say, hey, man, I know a podcast you should check out. It's called the 5049 Podcast with Jeremiah Zimmerman. Enough of that. Uh, I'm going to turn the fan on because it's super hot in my apartment, so I apologize about the noise. Um, A couple of things to say about today's show. Carl Testa is a really tremendous musician. Uh, I first met him about 10 years ago. He came to a show that I was playing at the Stone. Um, And as you'll hear in this conversation, uh, today, 10 years is a very significant uh, amount of time to Carl. I'll get into that in a second. Carl's originally from Chicago. And something I didn't know until this conversation was that as a teenager, he actually uh, studied at the, with members of the AACM, which I think is notable. Uh, he went to Wesleyan where he studied with Anthony Braxton. And since leaving Wesleyan, uh, he has set up shop in New Haven, Connecticut, where, you know, in addition to lots of work as an improviser with various musicians um, and in addition to playing with Anthony Braxton, Carl has spent a considerable amount of time as uh, an arts administrator. He does administrative work for Anthony Braxton's Tricentric Foundation. Um, He works as a production manager at Firehouse 12, which uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's definitely one of my favorite venues I've ever played. Um, And in addition to that, for the last 10 years, he has been booking a music series in New Haven called the Uncertainty Music Series. It's come up on the show before, but, you know, a lot of people do series for, for, you know, usually not very long periods of time. Carl's had his series going for 10 years. And this September, in just a couple of weeks, he is putting an end to the Uncertainty Music Series. And he's going out with a bang. And I'm very happy to say that I will be uh, taking part in the final performances ever at Firehouse 12. After 10 years, Carl has decided to focus his energy on on other projects. And to close things out, there is a two-day festival happening, as I mentioned. It's September 23rd and 24th. I'm going to be performing there with uh, a new project of mine, a piece for four clarinets uh, that can also be played with two improvising percussionists. It's called Sistema Mundi Totius. We premiered it at the stone um during my last residency in april we'll be doing it again in december at roulette in brooklyn uh and i'm very pleased to be able to do it on september 23rd at firehouse 12 as as part of carl's farewell to the uncertainty music series now 
one of the reasons I wanted to put this show up today is Carl is running um, a crowdfunding campaign right now to pay for this festival. He's doing it on Indiegogo, and if you go to the 5049 website, I have a link right to the Indiegogo. Um, if you, first of all, if you're in the area and you want to come hear some great music and, and help Carl say goodbye to something that he's put a lot of work into, come to Firehouse 12 on September 23rd and 24th. Secondly, if you want to help out, uh, you can throw in a few bucks. Carl's doing all of this out of his own pocket, and he, I think he's put together a pretty tremendous festival. There's a link to the Indiegogo right on the 5049 website. Um, check it out. Carl's doing some great shit. And as a special treat, uh, today on the show, at the end of the conversation with Carl, I'm going to play uh, a five-minute sample of this new piece, Sistema Mundi Totius. The, the, the excerpt that I'll play at the end, the piece itself is 55 minutes long. Uh, I'm just going to play for you guys five minutes at the end of the show. This is, you know, will come out sometime. I don't know when. I've been working on five recording projects, and I, I need to get my shit together and focus in and finish them all. Um, this is a big one, though. I started writing this music back um, the start of 2017, and I'm hoping to have the record out in 2018. Uh, but as a special treat, I'm going to, you know, we'll do a five-minute sample at the end of the show. If you want to find out more about Carl Testa, go to carltesta.net. Um, I like Carl a lot. He's really sweet. He's really inventive. He's very generous, and he really loves music. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation today. Um, I think it's good. I like Carl a lot. And like I said, carltesta.net. That's it. I hope you guys are all cool. Here's my conversation with Carl Testa. But they're a little slightly understaffed for, I think, the amount of uh, interest that they get. Right. I mean, there's a lot of places now that are opening as music venues that claim that that want to present, if we're if they're to be believed, exciting work. Um, <laughs> and they seem to have a lot of staff. There's a lot of places. They seem to have lots of staff, lots of email addresses. Uh, not so much concerts, not so many uh, actual music happening. And I don't know what that says. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, some friends of mine are putting together a show at this place and are just like banging their head against the wall. At, and I'm actually having the same experience at another venue where like the initial email from them to me about a show came back in february the show's happening in october it's literally a, me and two musicians improvising and the email chain at this point is like 75 emails long <laughs> for a show that was booked eight months in advance for three guys to get in a cab go to the venue set up and play yeah <laughs> so you're you but you've been booking a series i've been booking a series yeah um i i mean i can totally I can totally relate with like this with with feeling like you're on both sides of yeah. the equation, you know? like, yeah, like yes, I'm a musician, and yes, I have booked like my own like DIY concert series, uh -huh. and yes, I'm uh, a production manager for a venue um, and so 
I, if I've, I, you, I continually feel like pulled in so many different directions. You do. Yeah. You don't, you don't feel like it's all one thing. Um, well, it, it is all one thing, but it's very hard to, it's very hard not to compartmentalize at least for myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, um, I guess one of the things I'm sort of wondering about is like, are there, are the resources available to experimental musicians, improvising musicians, whatever the, the broad spectrum of, of people that we're talking about, are there so few resources that those resources are just like drained dry and like overwhelmed by people's requests to access them? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, that is, that is complicated. It is I, complicated, but... And it, it and I think I think it's not like there's so many different uh, so many different aspects to it. Like you know, like for a lot of places, like this, you know, this is like uh, available to the public, but to but only to a certain extent. Um, How do you mean? I mean, like, like maybe they don't. Maybe for whatever reason, they don't want to make every everything that they have the ability to to do right available to everyone because maybe it's a pain in the ass to set up or like it takes like it takes way more resources to do like um uh like a complex right complex technologically oriented uh performance than it does to do a solo clarinet concert or something right 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 um arts administration is like uh it's, it's it's probably the worst. <laughs> it's probably the worst. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, for me, it's the frustration with arts administration, whether or not I am someone asking to be considered for something or when I've had to be on the other side of it as you know, little as I have, is the rate at which things move. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the most frustrating thing, mm-hmm. is that I feel like things, you know, move along. Like, I worked for several years with Zorn managing the stone. Mm-hmm. And the way it works with John is keep as few people involved as possible and just make decisions really quickly. Yeah. And I, for five years, I really appreciated <laughs> that working method of just back and forth, back and forth, boom, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, so when you were booking, when did you start working at Firehouse 12? Well, so I started working at Firehouse 12 in 2010, uh-huh. like packaging CD orders. Yeah. Um, and then the the former production manager left in like fall of 2011. Uh-huh. And that's when I started. I, I never book the series of Firehouse. That's the owner. Yeah. Um, but I do like the like the background stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm at the shows. I do the press releases and the web like the website. I feel like stuff. Firehouse 12 is a real treasure for like the Northeast. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, the perfect. Like no other place like it at least in the u.s I mean. right well i played at this place in chicago uh, a couple months ago the experimental sound series you mm-hmm. know about, you played there yeah that felt reminiscent to me it felt like a room with full capability to you know for people to realize their ideas and it's like the perfect size you know you could have 25 30 people come in and you know it's the perfect size for sort of strange music and you can have a back and forth with the audience it kind of separates mm-hmm. like that performer audience thing yeah yeah i would like to see more of that stuff popping up that'd be great i think i experimental sound studio is awesome but you're from chicago yeah where 
I grew up in the southwest side of the city, Beverly Hills, Morgan Park. Is, is Beverly Hills as nice as it sounds? <laughs> um, it, it, people we call people generally call it Beverly, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, it's a nice like nice affluent neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, Your parents are from Chicago too. My parents, my dad's from Waterbury, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and my mom is from uh, Karlskoga, Sweden. And, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they met in Stockholm in like 72, 71. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they moved to uh, to the U.S. in 73 and got married. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you like growing up in Chicago? Yeah, very much. And I like always, always feel like I miss, like, I was only starting to like really understand what was happening around music and around Chicago, uh-huh. like but I got to be like sixteen, seventeen. And by the time I left to go to school, I had like, you know, started playing with musicians that I really respected. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like left to go do this other th- great thing at Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. Um but I but I never like I've never lived in Chicago again. So I always feel like uh, you feel like, like you missed, missed yeah like I missed out. Like you started on the bass. Yep, on electric bass. On electric bass. Mm-hmm. And you were drawn to what? Like what aspect of Chicago music were you sort of accessing as a teenager? Uh, as a teenager, well, let's see. I I saw this concert by um, Moata Bowden's big band. Moata Bowden is this baritone saxophonist okay. composer. And he, I think he still teaches at the University of Chicago. Like he teaches like the undergraduate um, big band. Mm-hmm. And they did... Uh, like uh, a big band concert featuring George Lewis, Douglas Ewart, and Tatsuyoki. So this is like AACM stuff proper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were and they were there performing, and they were doing a piece by Wadada Leo Smith as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I I think I was like sixteen or seventeen, and I saw that concert, and I was just like, really like, wow, this is. Wait, how did you end up at that concert? Um, my teacher at high school. Kind of very casually said, like, "Hey, there's this this concert happening. Like, maybe you want to go check it out." And yeah, so, and so I did, and uh, yeah, got to got to talk to Moata and George Lewis afterwards, and just started to realize that, like, wow, these incredible musicians were like right right there in front of me, mm-hmm. you know, and you could talk to them, and there wasn't like, uh, you know, wasn't like it wasn't like a giant rock concert where you couldn't, you had never right. have access to those musicians. They're like right there in front of you doing the music. And, uh, it just, it felt very, um, uh, it just felt like it felt very immediate and real. I don't yeah, know. yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. I remember it's like when you think about musicians that you love, like if they're like, you know, in the big world of rock, like they are a universal way. <laughs> <laughs> yep like you don't have access to them yeah um did you feel do you feel like when you look back in hindsight or at the time did you feel like the, the aacm in chicago is it known like is it is the presence felt beyond like the immediate circle of people who are you know really into that music like did they um that's hard to that's hard to say i think they are yeah yeah um and i mean and i got to I got to go to the ACM School of Music for a year. You did? Yeah. Um, because um, Moata gave me contact info for Ann Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was the, uh, she was the like, director of the school. You did that as a teenager? Yeah. 
Yeah. When I was like 17, 18. Yeah. High school. Yeah. yeah. What was it like? Uh, it was happening at Chicago State University and on at 12 noon on Saturdays. And you'd go and you'd sign up for two instruments and like a theory class. So I did like, th- I did music theory composition. You had to play two instruments. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so I chose bass and bass clarinet. Was that, was that like an art ensemble uh, prerequisite? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what they did. You, yeah. You could take two, two instruments. So you chose the bass and the bass clarinet. Had you ever played woodwind before? Uh, n- a little bit of flute because okay. my sister had a flute hanging around, but it's not really. pretty far stretch from the yeah. bass clarinet. Yeah, not really. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and and you go and it'd be like pretty informal, uh-huh. but like just have time to to practice, have a lesson, play, and it'd be like maybe three hours. Yeah, yeah. And who were the other people in the class uh, with you? Um, uh, my friend Brandon. Uh, he was, he was there and there, I mean, there were like little kids and like, you know, all ages Mm -hmm. and not huge. Like Mm -hmm. maybe like when I was there, like five students or 10 students. Um, and my teachers were David Boykin, uh, uh, bass clarinet. Um, can't, can't remember. I actually didn't do end up doing all that much bass there, but then like Steve Barry was Uh a composition. Um, yeah, really just like an incredible resource and opportunity. So from what you're saying, it sounds like uh, by the time you finished up high school in Chicago that the path to Wesleyan seemed pretty clear. <laughs> well, yeah, it was interesting because like, I was talking to Moata Bowden about, uh, about schools, music schools, mm-hmm. and the first place he mentioned was Wesleyan because of Anthony Braxton, and my dad actually went to Wesleyan. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and to study... He was he was there as an undergrad, and you know he graduated in seventy two, and he was studying sociology there. I mean, Wesleyan is it's a liberal arts school. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and he and he took uh, Alvin Lussier's experimental really? music course, like when he first got to when Alvin first got to Wesleyan. So your dad, your dad's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. He, was he into it, or was he like, I just took this really weird class, and I don't know what this guy was talking about. No, he was to- he was into it, and yeah, like, and yeah, and he. He, like, one of the things my dad did when I was even younger, maybe like 15, 16, was uh, I was getting into, I was like into the doors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like light my fire. Mm-hmm. And my dad would like play on the keyboard in the basement, like the solo section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bum, 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 bum. And he like, he kind of like showed me the connection to my favorite things. Between uh, the two pieces, yeah, and and that like it was like similar key, right? Uh, but uh, my favorite things of Coltrane, not of the Sound of Music, exactly, right, exactly. Uh, and yeah, he showed me, he showed me like the connection there, and like the how the, soul, the souling of like the Doors was like inspired by like Afro Blue and like, right. Coltrane stuff, and so like that got me like that got me more into jazz. And... Did you start looking for other connections in music? Like once once you once one realizes like how large someone like Coltrane looms mm-hmm. like do you start hearing it in other places I think so yeah, yeah. it wasn't necessarily like super conscious but um but yeah I definitely started hearing it yeah so so going to Wesleyan was even more of a natural 
uh, path than we even figured out two minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you, and he was uh, he was kind of like pushing me in that direction anyway. And I was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. Leslie, whatever. But then once Watson said Anthony Braxton's there, I was like, oh, okay. And you you knew who Braxton was. I I I heard of him, and I think at that point I went went out and bought three compositions of new jazz and. That, well, that's one of the Arista records. Uh, no, that's the like first his first Delmark record. I've got that record. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I listened to that like didn't understand it right in the very least, but still knew like like he was like important and it's a heavy thinker. Yeah, at the very least. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So like I was I was I was sold. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to be able to actually get in and go too. Right. Yeah. Right. So what year was that? That was uh, 2002 I started okay. at Wesleyan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And what was it like when you got there? Did you immediately kind of link up with... Well, thanks to David Boykin, uh, I got Matt Bowder's name. Uh-huh. Uh, and Matt was there. and He was doing graduate work. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I, like, you know, said hi to Matt. <laughs> and that was about it. And actually, Braxton was on sabbatical my first semester. Okay. Um, but I did the Alvin Lucier Music 109 class. What was that like? Uh, it was great. It was a big class, probably like, you know, I mean, not huge, but 40 people. I mean, it's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, survey survey course using the Michael Nyman book, uh-huh. uh, going, through, going through all the pieces. And basically the uh, last uh, assignment is like to write your own experimental music piece. To write a composition. Yeah, yeah. And were there, wait, wait, wait. So wait, the class itself was not about composition. It was about the history of music. Yeah. But the final, so were there other people in the class who were not musicians? Yeah. And they had to write experimental pieces? Yeah. And then demonstrate them for the class? Yeah. How was that? Oh, it was great. It sounds kind of grim. Well, I mean, it was, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of different directions you could take. You know, and certainly for the non-musicians, like the fluxus thing is 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 big. Like <laughs> I remember someone doing a like a piece for uh, tooth, you know, brushing your teeth <laughs> into a microphone. Uh, I did I did a I did a a little quaint piano, you know, piano piece. You wrote a piece for piano, yeah, and you performed it, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. What was the what was the piece? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, I, it was you're supposed to like cup your hands like this and go up and up uh down the white keys and then up the black keys uh-huh. just back and forth <laughs> and uh and not trying to not trying to like not make any sound uh huh. so you're trying to reach that median point um between where you can push a note on the piano and it doesn't sound because you're going mm-hmm. soft. so you just go up you're kind of just hearing the sound of the piano itself, like the yeah, and but and because you're like kind of cupping your hands and doing it in a weird way, uh, you're not in control over what notes come out. Right. Yeah. How how long? What's the duration of the piece? <sighs> like you know, eighty hours or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably like ten minutes. <laughs> it's a long ten minutes, maybe. <laughs> I, maybe in class it was. Like two, I don't, right? I don't right. Where, where do you introduce like the 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 musical arc in that? It's it's just all there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and did Mr. Lucier appreciate your piece? Uh, I don't know. I I did I did get to play two other pieces, um, 
during the during that class. One I did a piano phase mm-hmm. with my friend Smith Lewis, uh, and so we we like played piano phase for twenty five minutes or something, and then Alvin gave uh, gave me gave both of us Gordon Monahan piano mechanics, mm-hmm. and I did this section where you hold down the sustain pedal of the piano and you like you're like hammering these clusters on the on the low uh-huh. end of the piano <clears throat> and we did it in the Steinway on uh, the Steinway piano in the concert hall and like the piano just like generates all this uh all this harmonic and overtone activity yeah, yeah. and the whole piano starts to vibrate and you get these like really crazy uh crazy crescendos of overtones and i'm playing it and i'm holding down the um the sustain pedal and my 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 leg is like totally shaking not from nervousness but just from the piano vibrating my whole like a nine foot long steinway yeah yeah man amazing piece (laughs) do you ever wish you could go back to school as a grown man just to sort of like access to have access to all these great tools now that you have experience (laughs) in the world and you could probably use them in cooler ways yeah well yeah i mean i i kind of i kind of had that experience recently with going up to mpac right because um i had had previously done like a residency at stime wasn't really in amsterdam yeah it wasn't really a residency but it was like i i got a week Uh to to do my own thing there um, but I was like really unprepared for it. Really? Like, yeah. Like I just didn't, I didn't have, I had like a bunch of, like a bunch of ideas, but not like, like I'm going to work on this and, and get this, get this done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it was, I was just at a point like with electronic music that like I, I was like, I knew what was up, but I didn't really have. What like year was my, it was like 2010. Okay. Yeah. And you, but you went with one goal of like, I'm going to make a record. I'm going to do a concert or I'm going to. Oh yeah. It was more like, um, it was more like, I'm just going to work on my projects. But by the time I got there, I was just, it was like my brain had a, like a mental roadblock. Like I just, I couldn't really get anything done. What does that look like? What are you, are you spending like all day in the, <laughs> in the studio, just like staring at the wall or, <laughs> um, kind of, I mean, I was like going through my, you know, going through my patches, trying to like try out different ideas, learn about different Max MSP, uh, super collider, super collider, right? Yeah, um, trying to trying to learn about different ways I wanna I wanna execute things, um, but yeah, just kind of just kind of hitting my head against the wall. What did you come away with from that experience? Um, I came away with wanting to be like more, like for sure, like more defined in what what I was what I was interested in and what I was going to work on. I mean, that's positive. Yeah. That's something to come away with. Yeah. For, yeah, totally. Yeah. But then, and so I like now, like when I did this week at MPAC as part of their spatial audio workshop, I like, I've really had like, I had a whole like box of like things that I could, I could work on. And if, I, what, I mean, I always wonder what, what, what are these, you know, these different residencies that exist all over the world at Stein, at MPAC, at, um, there's that Italian castle, uh, you know, there's always different, you know, or McDowell. Like, what are you supposed to do when you get there? Like, what's what's the expectation? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the time it's just like, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah, and that's hard. So. Yeah, <laughs> I've always wanted to do one of those things. You should. I I've tried. 
It'll happen. I think. I think actually, for me, like I'm better off if I could just have a week at home undisturbed is really the thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, or something with some money that I could, you know, somehow, like th- this little room that we're in is generally enough for me. Uh, if I can block out, like, you know, my wife. Then like that's enough of a residency for me. Uh-huh. So so you do the first semester. Braxton's not there. He turns up the second semester back from his sabbatical. Yep. And how quickly did your college experience change upon his return? Um, I don't know. It felt it felt it felt fluid. It felt like yeah, like great. Braxton's here. We're gonna do Braxton ensemble and history courses. Uh huh. And it felt like forward momentum. Right. Uh, for me. I mean, I was, I was more of a like a like a performer, uh-huh. um, than anything, and and from a like improvised music perspective. How quickly so, did, were you establishing personal musical relationships outside of the classroom, outside of the ensemble classes? But pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a yeah, there's a lot of good people. Yeah. Uh, to play music with and um, and experiment with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who's your roommate? Didn't have a roommate. Oh man, you had a roommate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I. Um... <laughs> yeah, no. I, I we. I was lucky to have like a single room. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is man. I wish. <laughs> I'm mean, again yeah, like every every couple of minutes. Like I'm feeling this thing where like I wish that I could go now experience some of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so you're living in Connecticut. You're eating the best pizza in the world. <laughs> Didn't really discover, yeah. Didn't really discover the pizza for real until moving to New Haven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So by the time you finished at Wesleyan, what did you think the next move was going to be? Because you you never lived in New York, have you? Never lived in New York, no. Um, so I met my wife Anne there, mm-hmm. uh, Anne Rhodes, and she was a grad student. I was undergrad, and we both finished school at the same time. And we're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to move to New York? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we felt like we're still doing projects in and around Wesleyan, so we didn't want to move too far. And I, and we knew that, oh, well, there's some interesting things happening in New Haven. It's like Firehouse 12. Because this is what, 2006, 2007? That was like 2005, 2006. And Firehouse 12 really got up and going around. 2005, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're like, well, why don't we move to New Haven? And Anne applied for a job at Yale and got it. and mm-hmm. And... When we got married that summer, and it was just all like, okay, we're in New Haven. Just set up life, and yeah, and we didn't necessarily have like the intention of like that. That was our final destination, but like, yeah, um, it was gonna it was gonna work. For mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah, and so she yeah she started working at Yale. I uh, I started working at like UPS. And, really? Yeah. As a delivery driver? Uh, not as a delivery driver. I worked uh, like in the late nights or early mornings scanning packages and mostly doing the like uh what is it called now but basically like when the address is wrong it doesn't scan properly it come it would come to me and then i'd have to like research oh where is this supposed to go and then put it put a new label on it did you like working at ups um it was fine yeah you know i mean late nights early mornings isn't isn't great right but i'm old enough now 
that I can remember at the end of high school, this one guy in my school was like, dude, I'm gonna go work for UPS. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see it through. I'm gonna, like, they take really good care of you and you build up benefits really quickly. And I remember looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and now that it's like damn near 20 years since I graduated high school, I'm, I, I looked this guy up on Facebook and he's, he's gone through with it and he's on the verge of retirement. Are you serious? And he's like not even 40 yet. <laughs> <laughs> he has like eight weeks of vacation a year. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, for some reason, I, I like felt like like p- packages, like UPS, the post office, like those are like really good salary jobs. At least you get to be by yourself. I mean, I was, I was like in uh, – I was in um, – I was like in the warehouse. You know, all the, all the packages are moving around and then I'm like in the like center uh-huh. um, and the packages come on the conveyor belt to me and I have had two other – there were also two other people. So the packages would come down and go to one of us okay but you could do your 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 shit during the day or at night you could do your music yeah, exactly yeah. yeah it was like one of those jobs where it's not related to music at all and you just like do it and you're done right uh and uh yeah and i liked that for a while um <laughs> yeah i did that i did uh worked in a hospital like in the payroll department oh um that was really dank and hospitals are the worst <laughs> hospitals are the worst yeah. It was a hospital in New Haven? Mm-hmm. I imagine they have a very uh, interesting ER, very colorful ER. Uh, I, yeah, I never, uh, I was in the basement. I don't know where the ER was, so I was kind of like pretty much. Like, You're always in the basement at these jobs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just <laughs> my natural habitat. And what, what, but what were the first projects that you started pursuing musically out of there? Because I've always felt like when I've had jobs where like I was in the basement scanning things, which I've never had, but the equivalent of that, yeah. I felt like, okay, I really got to get some projects going. I really got to. Like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, um, I basically, uh, been doing the same thing, uh, for 10 years now. Uh, had, uh, had a trio, uh-huh. um, at the time. With, Who was that uh, with? That was with the drummer, Bill Carbone uh-huh. and, uh, this saxophonist, James Antonucci. Um, and I would organize shows for that for that group, and then like later in 2007 was when I started the Uncertain Music series, right? Um, which was basically just a chance for me to have a concert every month, you know, like so a, a deadline. You started the series uh, with the concept of being one concert a month, yeah. And has it? It's always been one concert a month. It's always been at least one concert a month, right? There's been other months where there's, uh, you know, someone needs. Someone really needs a, a show to happen on a certain night, so I'd figure out a way to make it happen sure. at, at a different venue, or or we do like you know maybe four concerts. And month. the concerts started at Neverending Books. Yeah, how did you find that place? Um, because of the New Haven Improvisers Collective, um, this guy Bob Gorey, he's a guitarist, and he started the New Haven Improvisers Collective. Uh, I think initially, I might be wrong, but um, to do a concert with Butch Morris, um, he had Butch Morris come to Firehouse 12 and he conducted um the New Haven Improvisers Collective. Okay. Um and I saw I saw flyers for that. Uh-huh. Um when while well, I was still at Wesleyan. And I saw oh well oh, so yeah there's Firehouse 12 there's this New Haven Improvisers Collective interesting there's like stuff happening. So um I went to that. You went to the Butch concert. I actually didn't go to the Butch concert. Okay. But I went to their workshops. Right. Um and met Bob and the workshops happened in never any books. And so uh, Bob, you know, when I was asking about concert series, he said, well, you, you could probably do it. At because you, you had the idea to do a series. Yeah. Yeah. And you're 23, 24 years old at that point. Yep. 
23. That's when people start series. <laughs> I know so many people, myself included, who start series when they're like really young because it seems like a, a good way to sort of meet people, be involved. Uh, it's hard to get involved when no one really knows you. Yeah. But it's easy to be involved when no one really knows you and you have something to offer them. Right. Um, <laughs> did you... Like when you think... Did did it feel like it... it, it took off pretty easily or did it do did it feel like a bit of a schlep um i mean it was pretty it's it's, it's always been pretty low-key and like pretty easy and yeah. low pressure um i feel like it really it really got to something like probably around like 2011 2012 like that's like when it like was like at its peak where it felt like there was a lot of people like a lot of people Coming out to shows, a lot of people coming to shows, a lot of musicians, yeah, um, and a lot of uh, opportunities uh, to to book shows at different at different venues. And I mean, if someone were to compile a list of every musician run series in the history, <laughs> just in the Northeast, you know, right. uh, let's say from nineteen seventy to two thousand seventeen, it would be a really long list. Yeah, and most of those series probably would last anywhere from three months to a year the fact that you've done this for 10 years is kind of remarkable mm. what do you what do you think is the difference between or how, how do you maintain something like that and what do you think happened around 2011 that that sort of gave it this new push huh um i think i mean i think i think i think realistic expectations for one yeah. like i was just trying to do one concert a month right and not like a weekly thing right right or, right or uh or or working with a working with a, a venue that was like expecting me to bring in audience mm-hmm. you know i think i think the fact that it was never any books and they were just saying here's the second saturday of every month do something mm-hmm. um that gave me the opportunity to say Okay, I know I need to do something for this date. Let's find some musicians to play um, that I know are gonna like play with integrity and do something interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was like that was that was totally manageable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think when it gets to like, God, I need I need another group for this Friday and next Friday, and I need to get at least you know thirty people out to mm-hmm. like. That those are the kind of like those are kind of requirements that'll that, put a drain on you pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, and also at that point you're getting submissions all the time. You get kind of people can get inundated. But I think there's something about like once you get a series and you can sustain it, like it becomes like an integral part of like not just that city, but of kind of you know when people are looking at tour. I mean, have you hosted a lot of touring musicians? Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think you know probably since. Uh, 2009 has been mostly touring, you know, yeah. touring musicians coming through or or just, you know, people in New York coming for a one, uh, you know, a one set thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, and that's been, that's been great. And just <laughs> getting the chance to like, hey, I really want to hear this person's music, but maybe I, I can't actually get out to to see them but you maybe, they can come, you. maybe they can come they can come to yeah wait so we'll, we'll go back to to you know your music and getting out of college but now after 10 years you're ending the series yeah and what led to that decision uh more than anything i think it was i think five years ago i said to myself 
if uncertainty hasn't changed in any drastic way, that I'm going to end it. Because, Meaning? Like, if it didn't be, like become a nonprofit or if there was some sort of, like, outside funding or if it was still, like, a DIY concert series, I was going to say, all right, we'll, we'll end it. And okay. it hasn't and it hasn't changed from that central. Have you made attempts to make that transformation? I've I I wouldn't I wouldn't say I've made any very strong strong attempts, but I've I've like thought about it, mm-hmm. uh, and and tried to like get a feel for like is this the right thing? Is that is that really the thing I want to do? Because what you look at, like w- what that's going to require of you personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do I do I really want to have a a nonprofit organization or not? Right. Um, and and then I I think I just decided that like at this point I want I don't I don't want to hand it off to someone else and it become something else. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be like a discrete thing that happened from then to now i mean 10 years is a good number yeah 10 years if, it, if i went over 10 years i'd have to go to 15 and i'm yeah, not, yeah yeah i yeah, can't yeah. i can't do that right um and so like 10 is good and it can have it'll be done and then i can just focus on my own stuff right at 10 years it's a full statement and it's got like a beginning a middle and an end yeah and it got better over the arc yeah i think so do, do you feel sad ending it um a little bit i mean it's it's more of a it's more of a, a relief in yeah. a lot of ways, you know. Just yeah, like, yeah. Ah, like all right, I did it. Like there it is. Yeah, I can yeah. see it. Um, and really, the the festival that I'm organizing uh, is kind of it, it's kind of like the model of what of if I if I did if I did like create a nonprofit, mm-hmm. it would be like these these would be the concerts that I would do. Yeah, you so mean if, if you had like if I had like five thousand you know dollars a week to right to devote to producing concerts i would do a festival like this every week yeah um and uh and i think it i mean maybe maybe in another 10 years i will have right. <laughs> access to that or something but right now that's kind of like my uh, uh what am i trying to say that's that's you're you're realizing it in how at the highest level that you would want to realize it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's um, you know, I have started and let things over the years. Many things started. Some things just kind of die and decay without little, very little fanfare. And but there's something I think really important about closing chapters so that you can open new ones. Yeah. Um. And and it actually I have found that it really sort of empowers you in a lot of ways. Mm. To make the decision to move forward and that means you have to close something it gives you like a i think a stronger sense of confidence that you might not even be aware of hmm. and yeah. focus too focus yeah that's certainly something i'm like definitely looking for yeah <laughs> focus all the time <laughs> all right so so you finish school you start the series you're you're living in new haven um i, I feel like you've done you've done a lot of touring not a lot no um but um I've I've been able to tour with Braxton a bit, mm-hmm. and, and when I, did he start you in his band? November two thousand five or September or September two thousand five somewhere yeah. around there it was when I was first started doing like professional performances with him. He called you up for the what was it like the twelve Ted or the uh... that's right they there was a twelve Ted concert at Wesleyan uh-huh. um, for his sixtieth birthday right and then uh, and so I did that. 
and even though that was at Wesleyan, it's still like it was still felt like a like, real oh, profe- yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I got paid for it, right? <laughs> um, and uh, and then in November, the sextet did a little Boston Philly run, mm-hmm. and I was playing in that. I remember seeing it must have been two thousand six or two thousand seven seeing the large group at Iridium. Yep. It wasn't the stuff that was recorded for release. It was like the the following year. It was like the release party. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the strangest concerts I'd ever been to. <laughs> and it felt so uncomfortable in that room. <laughs> Everything felt like incongruous to me and disharmony. Yeah. 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 And that was that was yeah, I mean the the two thousand six run was like was was awesome. The 2007 run was awesome too, but it wasn't the wasn't the same thing. And and the 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 like the venue wasn't as accommodating as uh-huh. they could have been. Yeah, <laughs> but I I mean I feel like with that band you've been you've gone to like into the house of jazz like whether it's at these like festivals and clubs and stuff. Is that I mean does that does that fulfill any part of like when you, when you go to these like jazz clubs around the world like does it feel like oh this is something I've always wanted to do or is it like what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, let's see. I've I've played with I mean I played with Anthony in France and mm-hmm. in Italy, um, and both of those were like giant con like giant concerts. Yeah. Like, I mean, in France it was like maybe like three thousand people or something. It's a lot of people. It was a lot of people and and. And uh, and you can't see anything, you know. You're just on stage and you can't see anyone because uh, all the lights are on you. So it's it very like this like experience of this like really just more being in your own world. And you're in this big group, so you're up there with like yeah, like an army. It was like yeah, it was like seven, yeah, seven to twelve or thirteen people, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I, I feel like it's really important in those situations to get past the. Like I, I'm the kind of person I have this instinct where I'm like, okay, I got, I gotta, I gotta get up there and kill. I got to get up there and like entertain. And it's like mm. that's actually not why you're there. Mm. Or is it why you're there? I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, for 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 Braxton stuff, it's like you are like you. It's like you like you and you have to like enact the system. You have to like activate it. Yeah. Uh, and so that can be that can be laying out for 15 minutes, or that could be like playing notated piece for five to 20 or, or open improvisations. I mean, it's his music is, is kind of great for people who, who, who aren't necessarily like, like I'm performing and I'm on all the time, you know, because you can like, you take these breaks. Yeah. Let, let, let other people have the space and and then when you hear something you can come you can start playing and come into it right like the the music is very flexible in that way it's really hard for me to play with more than 3 people mm. like when you're playing with a large group it, there's like a, in i feel like this is constant negotiation going on uh figuring out when to come in when to lay out when to support when to stand out front mm-hmm. and but then like if you think too much in those terms like you're sort of getting in the way of music just happening yeah yeah and i think i think with anthony's music the fact that you can just like make a decision and roll with it is great yeah yeah because how does that work like like you know there's a ton of things happening and 
and then you just maybe you have an idea and you think okay I want to play this piece but like really slow and then you just like try to get someone's attention and show them the piece give them a tempo and just like start it uh so wait this is happening <laughs> the the performers are making these decisions yeah 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 that's that that's that's the that's the whole 12 plus one tech ghost trance music right um thing that like that everyone has uh the agency and control to like create up a sub ensemble start start playing a new piece yeah um that's that's what makes the the collage yeah 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 are you still playing bass clarinet regularly? No, I'm not. Why not? Uh, um, well, it became it just it became once I started to get more into electronic music. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like made a decision like, uh, like I can only do so much. So yeah. I'm just gonna like I'm gonna focus on the bass and focus on electronics. And uh, right now, a friend of mine has my bass clarinet. Uh, hopefully, it's like not like covered in mold or what something kind of like that. Is it? it's it's one of those plastic veto uh uh-huh. nets, which is awesome and i got a i have a um oh shit i can't remember um a bay mouthpiece uh-huh which is really nice do you feel like you got you got some facility on the instrument like you got to a place where you can transcend um, the instrument itself <laughs> no 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 um, I mean, I, I, I love, I mean, I just love the clarinet and I love yeah. like clarinet choirs and, uh, just the sound of the sound of it and the sound of, I mean, I feel like the, like bass clarinet and bass, there's, there's definitely like a, a tonal connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flexibility, uh, timbrely with bass clarinet and clarinets in general is really, really great. And so, I mean, I think like I have, I know, I know the instrument to a certain extent so I can write for it. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably enough for me. Right. Uh, just to, just to be able to know like what the instrument can do. Yeah. It's really tricky. Like any instrument, particularly as you mentioned, electronics, I mean, you'll never, (laughs) there are very few masters of any instrument. And there's so like you just you get you really need to like focus in. Mm. I I've been wanting to pick up a second horn, but I realize like I just don't I barely have time to maintain musicianship on one horn right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of felt like when I was in college, I would say to myself, when I'm 90, you know, I'll be playing. I'll be have been playing these instruments for like 70 years, and I'll have like a le- like a level right. that no one else would have in terms of like that particular combination of like experiences right um but until that point i'm gonna kind of suck at all of those <laughs> but then when you like i don't know when i hear someone who's like a master violinist a master guitarist a master percussionist it's like oh yeah they're only like that because like they put everything they have into it yeah yeah so you can really start like i can look myself like beside them and be like oh yeah i, I just you know i don't see that in my future <laughs> Yeah, and and there's not and then that's only one side of music too, right? Right, you know. So like, there's, you know, it's something I've been thinking of, thinking about a little bit. Like, you know, so Steve Reich is like a percussionist. He was like a trained percussionist. Yeah. Um, but like, no one like gives him like no one hassles him because he's like not like the best percussionist in the world. You know, I feel like I feel like in the in the improvised performer composer thing. Um, like 
if you're not there's a little bit of like if you're not a virtuoso on your instrument then you shouldn't say anything as a composer uh, yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> I th- I can like real real quickly conjure up like three or a handful of master composers who are also instrumentalists who are completely dismissive of their instrument, totally. almost as if like, oh yeah, I don't really give a shit about the sax, I don't really give a shit about the trombone, you know, I'm a composer is almost like the corollary of that, like where they're like, oh, I'm a composer, I don't really care about the instrument, right? But but they have, but they do have, they can back up. Yeah, but I don't instrument. buy it when they say that. <laughs> You know, I don't when some, when those when I hear people say that kind of thing, like oh, I don't really, you know, you give a fuck about that instrument. It's like that's not true. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have played it for fifty years uh-huh. if you really didn't care about it. And at that level of musicianship, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's also, I mean, like, like how rewarding is it to be on the bandstand playing an instrument with people? It's greatly rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And when and when things are really working, right? It's Does Steve Rice still play percussion? Uh, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, he, I think, I mean, well, he plays it in his ensembles. He does. I think he does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and he had for, you know, probably 30 years, maybe he doesn't do it that much now, but like in the seventies, right? he, he would be in there playing the, you know, marimba or, or whatever as a part of the ensemble. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. There's something like you, you could see it really kind of I, I feel like I see it go awry with a lot of people who are like, well, now I'm a composer, you know, and right No, I, Yeah, I'm not saying that like you yeah. should I'm not saying that you should like ignore your physical relationship with the instrument because that that grounds what you do as a composer in a really important way. Uh huh. Um, but that like I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to get myself hung up on like trying to be a master a master instrumentalist but do you ever feel like you're missing out on something like if i i don't know i, I always feel like i'm missing out on something i look at people who are like amazing composers and i'm like oh, i'll never be that i look at people who are like amazing <laughs> improvisers I'm like oh fuck i'll never be that uh, yeah i mean yeah I mean, maybe if i made some different choices yeah um i would be in a different place but i'm i'm where i'm where i am and you know you make you do the best like the best you can with like the decisions you've made or the situations you found yourself yeah. in yeah. And, and do that. Uh, and so like I kind of made a, I kind of made a decision not to become a, a virtuoso instrumentalist maybe when I didn't move to New York. I mean, cause there's just not the opportunities to like really like play all the time. Right. Yeah. That's know. really what it is is playing all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you, um, and what do you see for yourself now that you are kind of freeing up time for yourself walking away from the series? Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to develop my electronic music more. Yeah. Um, and with my electronics, I've, I've kind of done, I've done like my solo based concerts with electronics and then I've done, um, like live processing stuff where I'm you know, processing other musicians. And I really want to try to, uh, to bring those back together so that I'm playing bass, improvising in an ensemble and the computer is doing the processing mm-hmm. kind of on its own. Uh, so that I can like, I guess just say like have the best of both worlds, like mm-hmm. be able to be able to create a composition that is, uh, this generative, there's responding to the musicians. Um, 
but that I'm I'm not in complete control of and that I can still function as a as a as an instrumentalist in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully do more like more more performing. Yeah. More of my own music. More uh more touring. Yeah. As my son gets older, uh it'd be great to do some do some like tours with, with him. Yeah? Yeah. yeah I think Bring so. him on tour. Yeah. Yeah. You look forward to that specifically. I think so. I what mean, about that? Well, I mean, I, I look forward to both. <laughs> I look forward to the times when I can just be like a musician and not have to worry like about like you know childcare. Yeah. That. But um, but also like I've you know I imagine like so you know my wife's a vocalist. Mm-hmm. We we do performances together. Um, it'd be great to like travel through Europe and do performances with like you know ad hoc groupings throughout Europe and and my son can come along too and um have it be like very uh i don't know very like contained yeah uh, and 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 not and not separate uh like we just actually so on friday or saturday we were trying to get a babysitter but we couldn't so my son came to the concert uh-huh. uh, at never ending and when we were telling him about what we were going to do, he said, oh, you know, you know, mom and Baba, we're going to go, <laughs> we're going to go play some music and you can come too. He's like, oh, okay, great. I, I will bring my ukulele and sing and dance. <laughs> did he? <laughs> he did. Yeah. In the performance? Yeah. Yeah. So it, luckily it was like a, like ad hoc improv was the, was the name of the game for the night. So like I played in two pieces with two other people and then my wife Anne and my son came up, and uh, and we did improvisation. A family improv. Uh, and and uh, my friend Adam Matlock uh-huh. on accordion. Yeah, so it was a, like nice little quartet improv. And how is your son as an improviser? He's he's great. Yeah, yeah. Good I, instincts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good listener. I th- I I think I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. He he was definitely responding. Yeah. Uh, and like responding in in ways that that made sense. And uh, and wasn't trying to like take up was space, you know. <laughs> hey, he wasn't you know, steamrolling it, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 he probably was actually, but uh, right. Um, but I, I keep on thinking about like you know, um, you know, Denardo Coleman and uh-huh. uh, was that album called like the Fox uh, Foxhole or, or the. Oh, it's the one with him as a little kid? Yeah, he's like six years old, and he's playing drums. I don't know that record. Uh, Is Charlie Hayden's kid on that record, too? I don't know. Okay. We gotta look that up. But, yeah, no, so, like, Donald Coleman is, like, six years old and playing drums with Orna, and and how it's not, it's not, like, about, like, this kid is a like young virtuoso. Right. It's just about playing again, playing at the level that you can play at and yeah. making the best music that you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. feel like yeah, I feel like that's like there's something that, to that. That is that is totally that is that's what I want to that's what I want to do is like every every moment making the best music yeah. that you can. That's the goal permanently. Yeah. 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 And and whatever you can do and also you know, some days you can do more than you can on other days. So right. Just like, like, 
like acknowledging that and accepting that is like really really useful it's it's really beyond music it's it's an approach to life that i think is really beneficial not just to you but to the people around you <laughs> seriously <laughs> seriously because like generally the craziest people are i mean if you look at this idiot in office are people with something to prove you know yeah uh. Oh, man. <laughs> dark, dark turn. <laughs> well, I just, I, I mean, the people that, you know, the, the people that inspire me are people that are generally pretty present and happy to be doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think you get that from certain people. Like, I saw this interview with um, with Philip Glass, and, you know, the, it was um, it was after the nuclear meltdown in Japan, like, five years ago. And there was this benefit concert that he had done with Lou Reed and Zorn and um, and Laurie, and the it was a Japanese Japanese uh, journalist interviewing them, and they asked Philip Glass like, you know, why are you doing this? And his response, which I thought was really beautiful, was just, um, I'm just happy to be able to do this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and like that to me, I I'd rather be around people like that, people mm-hmm. that just you know. Are, are happy to be alive, happy to be present, happy to be able to do, as you said, like the best that they can at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it made me think about uh, last year, I was I was at the Big Ears Festival with Braxton. Oh, yeah. And on the plane ride home, like you, you walk on and there's Philip Glass, Laurie Anderson, and then uh, Mary Halverson and uh, Ingrid Walbrook, Brandon Seabrook, and then I'm in the back. I was like, "This is a talented plane." <laughs> Better pray for the pilot on this flight. I was, I was like, "Wait, like, I can't die on the same plane." <laughs> like, well, plane. actually, if you if that plane had crashed, like your name would be in history with like no, the my plane, no, my name would not be there at all because oh, because <laughs> it'd be Philip Glass and Warren Anderson. <laughs> we're, we're, but they were probably in first class. It, it was, yeah, it was a very small plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were like, I mean, if there was a first class, it's like the first two rows just happened gotcha. to be first class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always, I was making this joke with a friend. You know what? I should say, I'll say this off mic. Anyway. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got to come over and talk, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. Good to see you, Carl. Thanks. All right. That was Carl Testa. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Carl's a really, really great guy, and I'm happy to know him. And I'm really looking forward to getting back to Firehouse 12 and playing some new music. Um, I'm really excited about this piece. And if you want to, you know, help see things through with this, uh, uh, the end of the Uncertainty series, please check out the Indiegogo. It's a good cause. So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out the show today with uh, about five minutes of music from uh, this piece that I've been working on called Sistema Mundi Totius. And I guess I, you know, maybe I could say a few things about it. The piece is um, structured as sort of a concerto for improvising percussionists uh, with the accompaniment of a clarinet choir. The piece is about an hour long. Uh, all of the material that the clarinetists are playing is uh, sort of based on some alternative fingerings to create a really hypnotic effect. So there's lots of phasing happening, lots of beating tones. Uh, and the section that I'm going to play is from uh, more of a, uh, a denser section in the piece. Um, and the idea right now is every time the piece gets played, it's, it's altered uh, somehow. So the first time we did it, we did it with two percussionists. Uh, When we do it in New Haven in September, it's going to be just four clarinets. 
in December when we do it at roulette, it'll be with percussionists again with a slightly um, different set of materials for the clarinets. Um, and that's all I'll say about it for right now. I'm excited about this piece. It's, it's a very strange one. Um, and I, I don't know. I hope you guys like it. So here's, here's five minutes of uh, Sistema Mundi Totius. <laughs> 